Warning, this episode contains explicit content. Please proceed with caution. up you're listening to whiskey sex talk i'm your host romeo intimacy is a connection between two people but what happens when you have a disability whether it's mental or physical are you able to be intimate with your significant other on this week's episode i traveled all the way to israel to meet with dr ronit aloni and talk about what is sex surrogate partner therapy. Some consider it controversial, while others view it as a revolutionary form of intimate healing. Nonetheless, let us go to that conversation and see what Dr. Ronit Eleni has to say about sex surrogacy partner therapy. Dr. Eleni, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for for interviewing with us and welcome to Whiskey Sex Talk. Um, before we jump into the topic, can you share with us a little bit about your professional background? Um, well, I, uh, I did my master, uh, my post, my graduate school in NYU mm-hmm. uh-huh. in human sexuality. And I was trained in the psychiatry clinic of NYU. Mm-hmm. And that's where I got my um, license to be a sex therapist. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Israel, back to Israel, and I was uh, I opened the uh, sexual rehabilitation in Lowenstein Rehabilitation Center. Wow. Then I did my PhD in um, the Union Institute on traumatic brain injury and sexuality, uh-huh. how to rehabilitate people with traumatic brain injury. And I have a course in, a, in the university with Professor Heruti in the medical school of Tel Aviv University, and we, do, we give a course on sexual rehabilitation. And I work with the Ministry of Defense, with the soldiers and the injured soldiers, and I have my own practice for about 30 years already. And I work with couples and, and individuals and, and with survey therapy, and uh, with children, with uh, adults, with very old people, with everything. Right. Now, how did you get, what made you want to get into specifically, uh, you said you do rehabilitation for people with injuries, mm-hmm. and specifically in relations with intimacy. What made you want to go into that, in that direction? I'll tell you exactly, because my, um, my grandfather, his hand was amputated. My father had a traumatic brain injury, and my sister has cystic fibrosis. I didn't think about it when I chose this direction, but after a while I understood why I did. And while I started to specialize in rehabilitation and sexuality, very soon I understood that there's no way to rehabilitate people without surrogate. And so I met a surrogate in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. She's already gone, and she taught me everything I know about surrogate and rehabilitation because she worked with people with disability. That was her specialty. And so the whole three years that I was in the United States studying, I was in relationship with her, and she taught me everything she knew. Then, a few years later, I invited her to Israel. We had a conference in Beta Lochem, which is the uh, sport... A center for Injured Soldiers. We invited her for this conference, and then she taught the second group of surrogates in Israel, she taught them. 
And it's amazing that you actually have a personal connection. You had your, your father, and you said your, your grandfather, and then your sister. Your sister. Yeah. And with all that background, you started this program that I think it's, 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 it's quite amazing. Can you tell us, like, what is sex surrogacy? Because the name itself raises, raises questions. Well, first of all, the name is surrogate partner. It was invented or it was thought about. The first one to introduce surrogate partner therapy was Masters and Johnson in the 60s in their clinic. They were facing the same problem because they had patients coming to their clinic as single persons, and, and sex therapy is about couples. Mm-hmm and uh, you cannot treat a person by themselves. You need a partner, and some people don't have partners. And it used to be that they send them away and told them, when you have a partner, come back to therapy. But those people cannot find partners because they have this problem or because they feel that they cannot have a partner. They don't want to, to take the risk. They were already had plenty of failures, so they won't start again relationship before they know that they can function. So they started this program program in the 60s in St. Louis, in their clinic. Then they, they, I don't think they ever worked with people with disability, but maybe, I don't know. I thought that for people with disability, it's even more important. Right, absolutely. And when I came to Israel, I knew that introducing surrogate therapy, surrogate partner therapy with people with disability will be more acceptable than for the general population. And that's how it worked. That's why I hardly had any uh, contradictions, any problems, not with, the, uh, uh, not with the society, not with the culture, not with the, any legal prob- problems. It's institutionalized. It's, it's, um, it's paid by the Ministry of Defense for right. people with disability. A spinal cord injury and traumatic brain injury soldiers, and people can understand that that uh, persons who are injured needs sexual re- rehabilitation just as much as they need other ways of uh, of rehabilitation. So coming from this direction, then we saw that plenty of people that are not disabled applied for the program. So we we accepted them, of course, because they had their problems and, you know, social problems, emotional problems, congenital problems, different problems, and these people are taking advantage also from uh, from this uh, therapy. Now, even people from, like, very religious uh, groups of people, that they have no experience. Some of them would think they are homosexual, even if they are not. Some of them are homosexual, but they will not come out of the closet because coming out of the closet, it's, uh, you know, they have to disconnect from their family, from their society, from right. all their um, social support. Some of them want, some of them don't want. So they want to find out whether they can function with a woman, even though their attraction is to men, right. for, for, for example, or women to women. Right. So they come to see if they can somehow find, you know, uh, constitute a relationship with a person of the other sex. So, but other, some of them are, are not homosexual, but they right. don't know because they always was were in one um, gender society. Right. That's how they live. So that creates a lot of problems. 
Wow. In regards to your specifically your program, um, is it fair to say that the majority of your clients are um, people that have served in the military that are considered military veterans? No. No? At the beginning, we only treated people with a disability, either from the military um, uh, in Sahal or whatever, and, or, or they were congenitally uh, disabled, or they acquired a disability from car accidents or work accidents, different things. Years later, maybe I think four years later, after we started, then we had also we start uh, receiving applicants that have no disability, but they have social disability right. or anxiety. Most or oh, everybody has anxieties. I know you said you started with the military first, but then when people started expressing interest, people who have emotional or mental uh, problems, did you know that that was going to happen? That eventually people, or it just led, one thing led to another? Yes. Everything it was like this. I didn't even think when I started studying surrogate therapy and and learning about it in uh, in the United States. I never thought I can bring it back to Israel. I never thought it would right. be accepted. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. I presented it in one of the uh, in a conference in Israel while I was still in the United States as as an educational process for for example for children with the uh, with blindness that they don't know how the other sex uh, looks like oh, where are their geni- uh, where are their sexual organs because like uh, there were some articles about uh, people with uh, blindness that said that uh, they think that the other sex organs are in their uh, how do you call this the armpit yeah in the armpit because this is a place they don't touch nobody touches it so they thought it's there because they have no clue and in Sweden they teach a uh, the children with blindness with a really, um, how do you call it, like a nude, nude person are standing and they touch their body and like this they know how the body of the other sex feel like and, and uh, look like because they can touch real right. body, not, not like dolls that doesn't have the feeling of a body. Right. So I thought at that time that surrogate, surrogates can do that too. And this is what I presented. And when I presented it, the, um, the rehabilitation institution of the kibbutz approached me and they, uh, they were interested in this program. And then we started the program with them. Wow. Just pretending here in Israel, how many professionals are in your field that do this type of... I don't think anybody else. Oh, so you're really the only one. I guess so. Maybe others are doing it, but they don't speak about it and they don't... Uh, um, appear and they don't present it or they are, they are afraid that they, maybe they are not working according to the ethics because the, eth- the ethics are very complicated and exactly. you have to keep a really institution to support it. Absolutely. So if it's a, like a person who works, like a professional who works at home, they cannot do it at home. Right. So then they don't work ethically, then they don't present themselves outside. So I don't know about them. You said something, there is a lot of red tape when it comes to this type of, you said that it has to be very institutionalized. Mm-hmm. It has to be very, and I'm assuming there's a lot of strict guidelines in order for you to operate. This type of therapy, people can only assume, right, that it's like, oh, it's probably just like, a, like I said, I said earlier, sex therapy, but it's not. It's surrogate partner therapy. It's very wonderful what you've done because you've, it, it's become, it's a clinical thing that mm-hmm. you're, you're approaching it in a way. And that is actually hard to navigate. When you were doing your program, did 
you know that you had to have to have the strict uh, guidelines or you came up with these guidelines? No, there isn't. The, the Code of Ethics were written by IPSA. It's the mm -hmm. uh, international uh, or, or I don't know how they say it, but Pacific Surrogate uh, Association okay. in the west coast of the, of the United States. And they have like a... Um, It's an association, and right. they, they by themselves wrote the Code of Ethics. So we took this Code of Ethics, we translated it to Hebrew. Later on, during the years, we added some things that we thought it's, uh, we needed. But practically, we, we follow this Code of Ethics. That's amazing that you, you actually had a, got some guidelines to, for, for, for that. The therapy that you've done, that you've created, um, do you think more people are needing it or less people, or has it been consistent? I think it's consistent, and it depends uh, how much I am exposed to the media right. and how much people can know, know about it. I get patients that never heard about it, and once they heard about it, they said, well, this is exactly what I need. I've been in therapy, talking therapy for years, and nothing moves, and nothing changes. Just now, the, the woman that I was talking with, she's a therapist of another woman, of a patient that she's in therapy for five years, and, she, and this issue didn't move. I mean, she moved in different areas, but this was stuck. I mean, she can't have a relationship. She can't be with a man. She can't have anybody touching her. She, she, can't, she can't, all right? right? So even five years of therapy didn't move her ahead. And this is, you know, at, at, at this age, it's very important when we are talking about young people who wants to go out there, right. have relationship, experience, and if they are stuck, it's, it's all their life is stuck. Right, and especially because intimacy is such a, it's such a basic human language of course. Uh, interaction and in, in, in the way how, he, it's the more basic thing how humans interact. Mm -hmm. When people, let's say, for example, I, I'm just, just throwing this as an example, when someone approaches you, are there certain protocols you have to go through before taking that person in as a patient? How do you identify that the person really needs uh, to undergo your um, surrogate partner therapy? Most of all, I'm, I look at, the, at their therapeutic history, whether they've been already in, in therapy and they could move and nothing helped them. They were in cognitive therapy, they were in clinical psychology, they were sometimes psychiatrists, sometimes they took medication already, they tried, nothing worked. Then they are good candidates because they cannot do it by themselves. So then I can accept them to, to, the, uh, to the process. No. So it's not like, usually it's not like somebody walk, walked out of right. the street and come. Some of them, yes, because they are maybe 45, 50, 55, never did anything, never went to therapy, they denied it all their life, and now something happened in their life, and suddenly they find out that they are very lonely and they are going to stay lonely for the rest of their life if they are not going to do any dramatic move. Right. So for these people, even though they are, it's the first uh, door that they knock on, mm -hmm. but they have no time anymore because time limit is very important. Right. Like if it's a 25 or a 20-year-old person, then they can go to therapy, try two years, three years, one year, decide whether it's helping them or not. 
but for a person who is beyond 40 or a woman that is 35, she still wants to have children and she never had any sex and she's so anxious, then maybe surrogate therapy is a better choice for her because this is within six months, maximum six months, she's in a different position altogether. Than she was. There's the people that have the history of, of, of therapy and, and what you consider perfect candidates, and then there's people that just come straight out from, from out there, just, you're the first person. Um, is there a difference in the way these people approach it? Because I could only imagine the persons that have gone through the extensive therapy in the past come to you as, a, as probably as like, hopefully this is gonna do it. Um, and versus the people that come here on, the, on their first time and you're the first person, is there a lot of hesitation between the two uh, individuals or is that a case by case? Not necessarily. Some people that um, had therapy, they would be ambivalent and they, this is part of their um, personality because they can't make decisions. They drag their life on and on and on and on and they don't make decisions and they don't make the change because they're very anxious. Others, they denied it they put it away, they didn't think about it, but when it popped into their eyes, they are very ready to do it. So they go for it, even though they've never been on to therapy. So with that with that being said, um, how long is a treatment, or does it vary? Do, do you have people that are here like a week? Like let's say they find the therapy helps them within a week or a year, or is it like, what's the therapy length that you? No, 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 never within a week, never. Well, okay. Never. It's a relationship. A surrogate therapy is a model for a relationship. So they have to build relationship. It's not about practicing sex. It's about okay. practicing intimacy. Which is a totally different thing. It's a completely... They have to create intimacy with the surrogate. They have to get to know them. They have slowly and gradually. They have to build trust. They have to build their confidence with that person. And only then we move into the real a practice of touching and, and the sensate focus, which Masters and Johnson created years, many years ago. But sometimes we don't follow these instructions because it depends who is the patient and what, what is the reason why they came for therapy. Some of them have no sexual dysfunction. They have social dysfunction. They have intimacy dysfunction. So more time would be um, devoted to relationship and to building the relationship, what you do with the, with the partner, how you behave, how you build relationship, how do you open up, how do you share, how do you listen, you know? Right. So that takes, uh, it can be between 15 to 25 sessions with a surrogate in parallel with each session with a surrogate, there is a session with a therapist. So the session with a therapist, we discuss the previous meeting with the surrogate and we plan the next meeting uh, with the surrogate. So it's very structured. It, 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 I, I'm, I'm noticing that it's, it's very structured and you're not only, you said that you're tackling um, intimacy, but you're also tackling a lot of like cognitive stuff, mm -hmm. uh, mental anxiety. So it's, a, it's really a full complete program that you're actually doing. Yes, and it's, it's, I'm, I'm very, listen, I read, I read about your, your program and only what was out there, you know, and that's why I was so interested in, in meeting with you and talking about this because I came in with my the idea about the your um, the surrogate partner therapy pr uh, program that you have. I had a totally different thing. I thought it was more like like I said, you said it's the sex, but you said it's intimacy that you're dealing in, and not only that, all 
you're dealing with a lot of things. Um, do you think that um, this is, um, especially now a days where we're living in an age where a lot of people are more closed off, you know, and, and there's, it's very, it's very interesting because we're so desensitized to what media is, but I find that we're more closed off, especially with the younger generation where they'll, they'll hold on to, they won't talk about their issues. Are you starting to see something with the younger uh, generation that you didn't see in the previous that maybe um, is going to possess, uh, I don't think it's so. A I, I think people were, some people were closed off and, and people who had some social difficulties and, and, and anxieties, they're closed off and for different reasons in different situations like uh, we have in Israel a group of people who, um, you know, they are very uh, scientific, uh, scientifically approached or you would say very computerized approach and they, their life is in the computer or their relationship are through the computers. They never spoke with a person or I mean not never but they never went, uh, they hardly go out, they hardly have friends, their friends are in the computers and it doesn't matter if it's games or, or something else, whatever. And so they don't they don't know how to create relationship. They don't know how to keep eye contact. They don't know how where to when to smile. They don't know to to, to talk with double meaning uh, sentences. They don't know how you flirt. They don't know this because oh, it's wow. not in the internet. So in the internet, you need you need other skills which right. they they have, which is okay if they have it. All right, right. but not always it's enough. Sometimes you have to go out of the computer and start life. Right. And they are not used to that. And if they went to the army to very um, uh, prestige units, so they, it's only men there. And if they went to, stu to study computers in the university then, so mostly it's men also. So they can be by 35, they never spoke with a woman. A real intimate conversation. So they have no skills and they have to restart. Wow. You know, and that's very fascinating because... Same with very orthodox uh, men. Right. Same. They right. don't speak with women. They don't even speak with their sisters at home. Well, there's, I mean, I'm just thinking about people that live in like, you know, in, in places like middle of America or in remote places where it's probably a small population and you, everybody knows each other. And mm -hmm. you're right. There is this, th there is this thing where I know people that they didn't talk to the opposite uh, or people that go to boarding schools or private schools. Mm -hmm. They don't start interacting with, with the same, uh, with right. the opposite sex or same sex until they get into college. And even mm -hmm. then that's where you have all these anxieties that come out in adolescence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you have more adolescent, uh, Patients than you no, do. I don't. I hardly treat adolescent patients. Or I mean, young adults. Like, like, young like adults, I would treat only if they, if I'm really persuaded that they've done, that they tried and they it didn't work, or their anxiety is very high, or they had too many failures that they won't risk again mm -hmm. or something. I need to have a reason. For example, I once treated a person that was even I think he was younger than twenty. And the only reason I treated him is because he was so anxious that everyone he le every time he left the house, he drank so much to be able to go out and, and socialize right. that he became, um, he became alcohol addict. So wow. you had to take him out of that only because of his anxiety. So that was a reason to overcome this uh, anxiety that he won't really continue to be alcoholic. But other than that, I, 
usually have patients at the, the second half of their 20s or 30s. This is most of my population. Was Patient. Yeah, 40s. Now, in reference to that, the one patient you said that had um, uh, who was who had anxiety and would, was drinking, is there a lot of that? Does that do you find that that ties in a lot? A lot of like um, substance abuse or people have like vices that they well, use as crutch. Uh, well, substance abuse is becoming more and more uh, popular. Depends how much. But if somebody is doing it to be able to go out of the house, to be able to socialize, then it's also a reason to overcome it so that they don't need to do it. And then they can stop abuse themselves right. with alcohol, with drugs, with whatever they do. Would you say is it, is it, da- is it more damaging when people um, do that? I mean, well, or, course, or is it harder yeah. to, to help them with uh, depends how long uh, the surrogate partner therapy? Depends how long it, they, they are on the drugs. Uh, how often they do it depends, you know, some of them, how much they drink or, or take, what drugs they take. So sometimes I have to consult with psychiatrists or people who are specialized with addiction. Wow. So, so, so then you can actually better help, uh, f- mm-hmm. you can apply your therapy. Now, I know that I, it's, it, it, it sucks that I ha- it's, the show is only 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Let's say um, if our viewers and our, I mean our listeners want to get a hold of you or read more about um, what you do and how you approach it, what's the best way that they can get in contact of what you do or uh, read, read about the type of uh, program that you offer? Well, uh, and I'm just saying that because people are always, you know, you never know who might be listening and this might, this might be one of those podcasts that literally they've been waiting to hear something like that and I just want to make sure that they have that if they want to get a hold of you or there's stuff literature that you can direct. I have my site in the internet mm-hmm. by my name, Dr. Nitaloni. So if you type Dr. Nitaloni, you get into that site. It's all in Hebrew. I think there is one page in English there mm. and one page in Arabic and Russian. I think if I am, if I remember well, if and they can translate it because it's all in Hebrew, and then all the contacts are there. Okay. Now, if there's one thing you want our audience to walk away from with uh, at the end of this, what is it that you want um, them to be um, uh, aware of? Just uh, you know, in general. I think a message, the, the you know, most important thing is you know people when they think about surrogate partner, they always you know the first uh, association they have is a prostitute or something. And like that's that. not this. And that's of course not this. It's right. completely not that. And, and I presented it in, in a conference in Australia. There's no, there's like 10 differences that I can quote that makes it completely, it's a therapy. It's not about having sex. Correct. Completely no. This is one thing. And the other thing is that we didn't mention that, that we have surrogate partner Correct. for women and for men right. and for homosexual too. So we have a, a woman works with women men who work with men and, and of course for heterosexual right. so, so and that's also important because some people think that there's only surrogate therapy for men which is not true there's right. also for women there are plenty of women who applies for this therapy is it okay if I ask you one last question of course um, in regards to the, you mentioned I, I wanted to I really wanted to touch on on the partner aspect of it do you are you the person how, what's that process like what qualifies a person to be a candidate not a candidate a, a, a professional person to work with you uh, side as by side surrogate? as a surrogate, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, is that a different process, or is that a lengthy thing that we we cannot get into right now, just in general? Or? No, they, they, also we do it according to IPSA, okay. right? Okay. So there is like two weekends, uh, very intensive weekends that 
the, we prepare them to start working and then they have supervision every session they they never go on a session without having in a, you know a, um, a session with me before then okay so they are um, supervised all the time you know so they, they they don't work on their own this is against the ethics they could probably they, they could probably lose their, their they job always work with this with a with a sex therapist and and the, the, the patient cannot contact them so the patient comes to the therapy and And the therapist prepare the patient to start our weight therapy and the, and the, and the therapist employs and work with we are like co- colleagues right. uh, with the surrogate and we work together but the therapist is responsible on all the process and I am responsible on my patient and but I am at the same time responsible for the surrogate well-being also. So that's very that's very thorough by the way that's 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 amazing because you know that's probably that was one of the things that I imagine like what's stopping a patient from you know people just might think something or from reaching out and it's it's amazing you say that that they have you have to be there present before they they interact with the others and, and mm-hmm. there's that there's a lot of uh, uh, rigorous um, uh, I guess rules that you have to you have to follow mm-hmm. um, now for for the people that are the 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 your your surrogates um, is there are they also professionals in, in, in your field as well or we started like this but finally we find out that it's not necessary because necessarily because we a surrogate has to be a partner right. not a therapist we train our patient to be with a person not with a therapist okay all right so this person the surrogate needs to be as close as possible to a regular person you know right they can be angry they can be impatient they can be insulted they can they can say well I don't want to be with this person it doesn't suit me um, they can they are normal people I mean they are not extreme people they are not therapists they don't have too much patience they don't they are not therapists right so like this the patient like the client gets the best experience they can to prepare them for life right now have you you, you mentioned something um, have you had patients that uh, let's say uh, say that they don't want to work with uh, that specific area? Uh, of course, of course. Patients and also the surrogate, they can say the same. You know, the first meeting is like a date. Okay. After a date, everybody decides whether we want a second date or a third date. Right. Or we don't want because we feel uncomfortable because this person is disgusting us or annoying us or whatever. It's not that I change one by one, by one but I... I, we think about it and we discuss it and we see what is the reason why not to continue with this surrogate because when they start with a surrogate we choose the surrogate together not with a photograph not with a photo but talking about this person and see if this person is oh, matching wow. you and they can choose and once they chose why it's not proper for you and if it's not sometimes there is a, a good reason sometimes not so because of the anxiety they would uh, don't they maybe would not want to continue because they know that with this person they are going to do what they are very anxious to do and all their life they tried not to do it so sometimes they deny or they they are against this person just because they're anxious and do sometimes that anxiety do they just walk out the door and leave 
leave your program because of the anxiety? No, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen? Rarely, very rarely. Maybe um, once I had one patient like this years ago, many years ago. So it really, it re- the people really are coming to you to really actually, f- like, f- um, uh, fix themselves or let's say uh, better improve themselves and, and, and the fact that you said that you rarely have people uh, walking away I, listen I could only imagine that all of that would give me so much anxiety that I would probably would end up walking away and, and that's amazing that people ha- at least they have that discipline or, or they have that uh, conviction of they, they want to go through this. First of all, they want to go because they tried many things before and they didn't succeed and some of them feel this is their last uh, resort. Which is not. Right. That's how they feel. And also they are very, they want very much to, to go on with their life. They feel that their life is stuck and so they are very devoted to the therapy process and, and on the other hand the therapy process is very adjusted to them so they can make it. So we go step by step according to their ability to, to compete or to struggle and we don't push them or we don't stop them. We go with their path, with their rhythm and that's what helps them to, to get over it. Well, you know what? You're doing something very amazing that I respect and, and I hope that a lot of people are more are, are become more educated about of such avenues and such therapies that exist because um, there's so many things and I'm very not listen when people a lot of people go they tend to um, uh, medicate which is perfectly fine but I'm more of the alternative in finding solutions mm-hmm. and you have here something and it's the surrogate partner therapy that that it, it's amazing what you're doing I think that um, I'm so glad that we have doctors like you out there because a lot of people don't want to do, um, and you're right, people have gone through therapy and that's not helping. It's that thing that, it's that one thing and it's that, it's working on how to communicate and how to understand the other human being. And that's really what like, you know, uh, the human condition is, it's, it's us all connecting. And if you take it on the sexual level, that's the, mo- that's the most basic, Ra. And, and, um, the one strength of this uh, therapy compared with other therapies is that when you are in other therapy, the therapist doesn't know anything about your life. It's what you tell them. Exactly. With this therapy, the therapist knows what's going on because we have this feedback from the surrogate into the therapy process. And sometimes, you know, the client and the the surrogate would go on a date and I will get a different report from the surrogate and a different report from the patient because it's all in their mind, their anxiety. And they have to face reality. And they cannot run away from that. What happened in therapies, in in talking therapies, that you don't know, you never know. The only resource that I have is what my patient tells me. So that makes a huge difference, also for the patients, because first time somebody's telling them what exactly happened and how they perceive them and what they're doing well and what they're doing wrong. Sometimes they they don't have a clue for that. So it's very down-to-earth therapy. I like that. I like that, that that you said that it's very down to earth because it's very stressful. All of this, just on a, on, on, a, on just just the thought of it of anyone going through it. You know, going on a date can be so stressful for the, even mm-hmm. the average person. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that you said that that this is a, a down to earth therapy because I think we need more stuff. Like we need more type this type of therapy, this this type of approach because <laughs> we're living we're all walking around with anxiety. 
Right. You know. Well, more and more people are within that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Alani. Well, that's it for this week's episode. If you have any questions, comments, or concern, feel free to email us at whiskeysextalk at gmail.com. 